0: It will come as no surprise to our listeners that today we're delighted to welcome another international spinner to the show, Lippy's guest booking, turning the podcast into a spin bowling masterclass. In fact, I think we might change the name of the pod from the top order to the top spin, but our latest (laughs) guest has also spent plenty of time in the top order as well. So he's well placed to join us. Canterbury's leading wicket taker, black cap in all formats of the game. Todd Astle, welcome to the top order podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for that kind introduction.
0: Well, a kind introduction from one Cantab to another. Let's <laughs> talk about your early Canterbury days first and foremost. It was being a professional cricketer always your dream growing up?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've come from a very cricketing family, so I was always out in the backyard playing uh, with my brother or, or my dad down at the nets and it was always pick up games at school and I lived and breathed cricket and, and still do to some extent, but that was that was definitely the dream growing up was to play, yeah, for a living, I suppose, as a professional cricketer.
0: When did you kind of think you were going to make it or think that you were going to make a living out of playing the game?
1: I guess I was always, that word, talented growing up and I was playing ahead of my age group, sort of two or three years ahead of myself, so under 15, 17, 19, so I was progressing through those, those age brackets and I, I guess when you get to that 17s, 19s, you start to sort of see the bigger picture and knew that I wasn't far off, I suppose, the, the next couple of steps which was going from under 19 sort of New Zealand level to domestic contracted player and then making my debut for cannery back in 2005, so a few years ago now, but uh, yeah, I, I think it was it was kind of when I first played my debut game, it was at QE2 actually, and I got eight in the first ball duck in the <laughs> second innings. Uh, and I just remember finishing that game going, geez, I'm actually quite far away off. I've, I've got to this certain point on just hard work and talent mm. and probably having a name for yourself when you go through age group cricket. And it was a bit of a realisation, I suppose, that I had to go away and go, right, okay, there's, there's a big step up now to, to actually succeed and do well at this level.
2: Mm. And Todd, Todd I, I want to talk about that under 19 stuff in a second but I, I always try and do sort of a bit of digging around for stories from from people I know when, when it's someone that I know that's on and, and so I asked Buzz if, if he had any stories but I ended up just getting the story about how he scored a match winning 60 in a Gillette Cup game and your dad bought him an ice cream on the way back to school. I hope I hope you at least got an ice cream in that game, is that a memorable one for you? <laughs> Which game was that? <laughs> oh. I think it was against Wymere College. He scored. He scored sixty you reckons, and uh, and yeah, your dad bought him an ice cream, and he was very, very pleased about that.
3: <laughs>
1: That's gold. I don't remember that at all, but um, geez, yeah, it was mine. Come on, Dad, far out.
2: Were you, were ice creams weren't a regular reward for you if you performed well in the game.
1: I do remember when I used to play soccer as a young kid, and you know how you always used to swim around the ball. Yeah. It would just be painful when you when you look at it now and you just see all the kids swarming around the ball. <laughs> and Dad, Dad gave sort of my brother and I that incentive that every goal you got, you'd get a dollar. Uh, yeah. And so we, we would kind of be a bull hog, really, but you, it would make you use your skill and run around players and, yeah, instead of just... Kicking the ball and bashing it around like like bees around a honey pot. You actually ran around and, and tried to score goals, and then you get your dollar dollar incentives. So I remember getting dollar incentives, and I, I'd go down to the to the dairy and buy lollies. That was my dream. Probably <laughs> as a real young kid was to own a lolly store. So yeah, it's probably a good thing they <laughs> nice. didn't buy me ice cream. <laughs> nice.
2: And and look, I guess back to the cricket. Obviously, you scored a lot of runs at that underage level. You you made the nineteen side, which um. I, looking back at it, had a pretty good side with Gupdal, Saudi, Munro, Harmy was there, Hamish Bennett and uh, shout out to, to listener of the show, Mark Ellison, who was the, the captain and um, he's over in Ireland at the moment trying to qualify for them. Um, but I guess what was that experience like as a, a young guy travelling to the subcontinent, you know, experiencing that, that sort of level?
1: It was a real eye-opener and like you said, we had a really good bunch of guys but you're just so far out of your comfort zone and I think you can't really uh, describe it, and, and and just arriving there, and it's the smells that you just get engulfed with when you're riding in these tuk tuks. That that you know, that a hair raising experience, and yeah. just seeing the poverty, um, as well as just so many different uh, religions and cultures. And I actually really loved the experience, and it was cool. I think for me, my dad's a geography teacher, so he'd always tell us these weird and wonderful stories of all the places that he'd been hmm. and you know, look I'm fortunate to have been to uh, you know Australia several times before that and uh, England with my parents and South Africa but the Sri Lanka and the subcontinent is just a different it's a different beast and you have to really embrace I suppose all of the the senses. so once we got over there we didn't really have a great deal of preparation and how do you do that when it's winter and in Lincoln and you're in a wool shed to try and prepare for sort of mid-30s and and high humidity.
2: Yeah.
1: So we didn't actually go well in that tournament, unfortunately. It was a real shame, but I did actually score quite a few runs myself and I think I was the third highest run scorer, sort of behind Morgan and Pujara. So for me, it was, was, yeah, handy names. For me, it was (laughs) cool to obviously do relatively well, but as a team, you know, it's always more fulfilling if if you can get over the line and we ended up, uh, yeah, Funnily enough, losing to Nepal uh, in the plate final, and yeah, it, it was it's just guys were so yeah out of their depth and and really struggled with the humidity and the heat and mm. and just when you when you're fatigued, you just make a lot of mental errors. And that was that was probably the thing that I took away big time from that was that you need to be super fit and yeah, well versed in all sorts of conditions to do well at international cricket. Mm.
0: How well do you get looked after when you're in that under-19 ICC tournament? You then went back and played and obviously played a test match in Sri Lanka as well. What was the difference like in terms of the, I was going to use the word bubble that you're in, but that's probably a little bit too topical. But yeah, what's the, what's the contrast between the environment of an ICC under-19 Cricket World Cup where you're a relative unknown versus going back and playing as a, as a fully fledged international player?
1: I think it was really cool because it was a tournament, so there were so many other teams there, and you've got all these all these players that are in the same boat, wanting to obviously prove their worth and play for your country. So there was a lot of support and security, and yeah, I, I think there was a lot of assistance and there was parents there, so it did feel like we were safe, and it was just all these new experiences, Like you'd have room service every night, and you'd have all the things put on for you. And, yeah, the people are, are super friendly, and and it was just a wonderful experience off off the park, and and I enjoyed the cricket on it too. Mm. Like I said earlier, it was just all those challenges, uh, and then yeah, like you said, fast forward. What was it, six years? And the ironic thing is, I was an opening batsman at nineteen level. I didn't bowl an over in that tournament, which mm. yeah, you need to have a have a word to Mark Allison about that. <laughs> no, it was just one of those ones where where I was I was more of the batter, and I was a part time spinner at that stage. But mm. yeah. Then, funnily enough, to, to then go back there six years later as a, a frontline spinner for New Zealand. I'm really proud of, I suppose, that transformation. Uh, and at that same ground that we lost the plate final to, Nepal was where I made my international test debut and mm. managed to take a wicket and score some valuable runs. And, and it was actually a historic win for, for New Zealand as well.
3: Mm. Yeah, so a lot of people struggle going to the subcontinent uh, as batsmen. What's your secret? Why, how did you prepare differently than than your peers to be such uh, head and shoulders above them?
1: I think I'm naturally quite fit and athletic, but I'm not saying that was necessarily it. I I just think when you get over there, it's a case of... I've been around older players and and those age groups for for some time, so at that age, I think you're always searching for who you are and and how you fit in, and there's a lot of energy that probably goes into that side of things. Mm. Where I was a senior player in the team, I was obviously going to get a lot of game time and, and yeah, Guppy and I were the, the set openers and I just stuck to my guns, really. I, I was, as Stu would probably vouch for, a bit more of a limited sort of batsman back then. Um, I stuck to my game plans and I, I sort of played in the VEA you know, as you got taught growing up. Kept it on the ground. I didn't take a huge amount of risk and then I played spin relatively well, but I think that was something as well that. You saw the subcontinent spinners were just a, a cut above, and that's why a lot of our players came undone because through that middle period, we we would have often a decent enough start, but they would strangle you, and, and you had to have find ways to score against quality spinners and sweeping and using your feet. And, and we would often find ourselves block bashing, like we do, mm. like you guys probably have experienced in club cricket in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. That's just the way that we do it. Yeah. But over there, you need to have you need to have different ways to, to cope and. Yeah, that's something that, that was highlighted as well in that tournament.
4: Yeah, well, you had some tremendous personal success in that tournament. What was your kind of mentality like coming out of that under-19 tournament? Did you have massive expectations for your career and how you would progress through the ranks in first-class cricket in New Zealand?
1: Oh, it's hard looking back that far, isn't it? But <laughs> I, I suppose I'd had a couple of first-class games and then I had this period of away where It was great because you you have a a taste of first-class cricket. You go away and go, shit, I'm I'm off the mark here. I need to really develop a few things. You then go back to your own age group and you're sort of uh, one of the big dogs, you know, for lack of a better term, you're sort of uh, uh, a leader in that group. And for me, it was a chance to emerge at an international level and showcase my skills. And and it was cool for me to to sort of see where I was at. And, yeah, like you said before, there's some big names there that, that were at that tournament. And you then come back with uh, a newfound confidence and going, OK, look, I have shown to myself and to others that, that I'm capable. It's been making sure that I can go back and do that for, for Canterbury. And then, yeah, hopefully in time you can do that for the Black Caps. So that was that was probably the learnings I took away and a little bit of confidence. So when I was back in that next first class setting, I think that, that really helped me or set me up for uh, more regular game time and, and yeah, the learnings I, I could apply more.
0: Well, just before Lippy takes us on a journey that's going to talk for about 25 minutes about spin and drift <laughs> and dip and all these kind of things using the angle of the crease, you touched upon some of the other names in that tournament, the likes of Rohit Sharma, Jadeja, Jadeja Pajara, Finch, Warner. Was there anyone that you saw in that tournament you thought they are going to be an absolute rock star? And then conversely, is there anyone on that list that you thought didn't really sort of notice them and and now they've become the names that they are?
1: Well, Finch and Warner for me, I I don't really remember those names and Rohit Sharma, but it's one of those ones that you don't really know until later on and then what they've actually produced. Mm. And you sort of think, well, that's pretty cool that that they were there. At, At the time, I mean, Owen Morgan was... For me, I think someone who really shone, and because he got an amazing hundred against us, and he was playing for Ireland at that stage, it wasn't for England. Mm. We didn't get a chance to play against Australia in the tournament, so that was probably a shame not to experience that. I think we played pretty much everyone else, whether it was either in warm-up games or throughout the tournament. I think, for me, the Bangladesh team were really useful. They had Mushbik Rahim and Shakiba Hassan, and and they they were really a classy outfit. I just remember them having three or four just gun left arm spinners, mm. all left arm orthodox landing on a dime. There was just nothing that you could get away. I think I got forty odd, and we got one ninety, and that was the one game I think that we had a really chance, good chance of getting through. But again, we just yeah fell away, and um, yeah, those those guys I think were ones that I can remember in my mind that were the real guns at their age group.
2: And, I mean, that was right at the time when Bangladesh was, I guess, starting to emerge, wasn't it? Those guys kind of, kind of came along and kick-started that, didn't they, I guess?
1: Yeah, yeah, they did, and they went through, and then they've been in that, that that main side for quite some time. I actually thought they'd be more of a dominant force, but with a lot of those nations, yeah, politics can be quite mm. quite rife and, and tough, but they certainly have the population and the passion for the game.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, yes, yeah, so obviously we'd love to talk about this bit, and we'll, and we'll get there, but the... When I moved to Christchurch, I mean, definitely people talked about you as you know a classy batsman that was going to go, you know, kind of very. Everyone thought you were going to go all the way, and I mean, I guess my interest is like, did you sort of feel that, and did did that sort of put a bit of pressure on when suddenly you might not have had that success at at Canterbury level?
1: Yeah, I think looking back now, it was you put just so much pressure on yourself in a lot of ways, and I'd gone through like I said earlier, so far ahead of my age groups. And then you reach this point where you're playing with grown men and you're playing with your idols. I mm-hmm. the had these guys' posters all on my walls. It was Nathan Assel, <laughs> Cairns, McMillan, McCullum, Bond, yeah. Wiseman, um, Ellett. You know, these guys that were just leading of the game that you'd watched in VB series and World Cups. And it was like, wow, okay, I'm now there. I'm there rubbing shoulders with these guys. And, mm-hmm. and it's kind of going, okay, well, right. I actually need to prove my worth and, and then when it doesn't happen, you really you really do get tied in and thinking that, that cricket is who I am and I need to make this every post a winner and when it doesn't, you just get wrapped up in that bit of self-doubt and so then I, I, yeah, I had two or three years, I suppose, of really up and down performances mm. and you'd go away and you'd have periods where you'd do well at club cricket and come back again and get another couple of goes and thankfully I did get a decent enough crack there was no no regrets there Uh, I guess now you look back at it and you go I'm really thankful for that because that's been the catalyst for me to to really appreciate the the tough suffering or failures and adversity that you have to go through to Mm. to build up your resolve and and it's now yeah something that I'm really pleased that I went through because it's helped me get to this point in my career. And
2: I mean it must have been tough to like then transition to bowling but Given you were in that old boys attack with Bondi, Bennett, Burt, Wiseman, Finlay, I don't even know how you got a bowl. Yep,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. pretty amazing team yeah. it was, and I was captain very early on. I think early twenties I was captaining Bondi and trying to trying to tell him to you know how to how to bowl. Um, but <laughs> but that, that was that was again just one of those phenomenal experiences where we had pretty much a Canterbury side a Canterbury attack. And you have to just look at it as an apprenticeship where you make the most of, of what you do yet. And so obviously batting was the main thing. And, and yeah, I guess you look at that side and unfortunately we didn't have a whole lot of success as a team because I think we were a, a team of champions. You know, you'd, mm. you'd hear that term, but it wasn't the, the real strong buy-in and, and culture. And that's probably just the nature of we just had so many great players mm. uh, that would come and go and, rather than having continuity throughout which you saw certain clubs had. So for me it was really just a case of just yeah, using it as an apprenticeship bowling wise and working with Paul Wiseman who was the other spinner and it was the same thing in the Canterbury setup for a number of years when when we had Ronnie Herra and the T20 setup and Rob Nichol. Uh, I was always sort of thinking right okay I have my batting uh, and then bowling was always a chance that how can I pick their brains and, and develop and learn and, and now uh, I'm that sort of senior bowler, and I keep trying to reiterate that to young guys, which is a hard concept when everyone wants to obviously be in the team all the time, but you have to look at it as a, as a chance to learn and grow.
4: Yeah, I mean, who did you turn to as a, as a bowling mentor? Was it Wiseman? Was it was it having Ronnie here in that Canterbury squad? Who did you turn to to kind of develop that game? Did it happen naturally for you, or did you have to really work hard with a coach to develop your leg spin?
1: Oh, when you look at coaches, and you guys are probably the same, it's not often the ones that are all about technique and you know front arm and all that carry on. there's obviously cues that you need, but for me, I found that did my head in it. and look, I worked a lot with Paul Osman, and was has been good one on one, I think he's he's helped me understand my bowling, but then it was the case of just working with other key mentors that would help help you, yeah, develop that confidence. and Gary McDonald was one of those mentors, mm. Mike Shrimpton. Uh, Gary Stead himself, you know, he, he was a, a spinner, and so we'd often have conversations. And then I think Fultz, Peter Fulton was was a big help for me in my, my career in that time when he just backed me and allowed me to go and, and learn and fail and develop. And that was that was starting out in that transition from uh, an opening bat to more of a leg spinning all rounder.
2: And and how weird is it to then be coached by Steady and Fultz and and stuff in the sides now? Like, I mean, Fultz is about to be a Canterbury coach, isn't he? I think.
1: Yeah. Yes. He's just been named. It's it's cool, but it's also really difficult and strange. And, oh. I, and I say that because for a long time I played my one test in twenty twelve, and and then I had a hiatus for about three or four years where I didn't play anything for New Zealand. But I was I was consistently the top. Three, two or three wicket taker, MVP, mm. doing really well. So I was always putting up the numbers. And then I finally made a bit more of a break 2016 17, and, and that was when Mike Hesson was, was coach and Kane was captain. And so I was starting to, to get more regular game time. And then Hess obviously decided that it was time for him to finish. Mm. Uh, and then Steady was the main cab off the rank and sure enough, he got the role. And, and so I thought, oh, that's great because I know Steady, I'm, I'm good mates, and you know. I guess I can call him a mate because we went we played together his last season at Canterbury and mm. and then he was one of my first coaches when I moved to, to Christchurch when I was sort of 12 13 he was into coaching already back then as a player but one of the first things uh, he had to do was when I was over in Dubai I had my knee packet in mm. and I was named in all three formats and unfortunately it was kind of like I had a really good a series over there leading up to the New Zealand setup and I had to tell him look I'm, I'm really cooked here I need to go home and get it sorted so I did. Came back, played some games again for New Zealand, which was great to actually get some exposure before World Cup frame sort of selection came in. And I, again, I sort of thought, well, okay, I might be in the framework here, and and then yeah, we met at uh, our local and had had a beer, and and you know we were both sort of close to tears, sort of mm. knowing that right, okay, you're um you're missing out, and it's a goal that we set together was you know the World Cup, and mm. I love one day cricket. It, it was it was one of the hardest things probably the hardest moment in my career, just sort of seeing that, that goal dashed and, and him being the one to deliver it. So there is there is such a tough balance, isn't it, knowing that, look, there's a job to be done, but also there's people's livelihoods and, and friendships. But I don't hold it against them. It's just the nature of the job. And so we still have a really good good relationship. And, you know, I've obviously then gone on and played more cricket for New Zealand after that, that point last year uh, in their filts. Again, a tough one because they're your mentors, and you sort of think, do I go to them? You know, they're the coaches, but if I if I give any information, they might hold it against you. But I've always sort of thought, no, look, they're the best people to talk to because they've always been the ones that have backed me. So, yeah, I, I guess in the long version, of, I've just sort of talked about it, it. It is tough, but it's also part of the, the process.
0: So, you, you talk about missing out on the World Cup there. Conversely, you got recognised for your bowling and got the call-up to the squad for the tour of Sri Lanka. How do you remember getting that news in contrast to that conversation over over a beer saying you, you'd missed out on the, the ODI stuff?
1: Uh, I had a good feeling I'd be involved in the test squad because just Sri Lanka, subcontinent, chance to be over there. And so I always knew that was probably the, the case and I would got named as a contracted player again so those things were all were all, I guess positives, which was great the thing that really pleased me was actually being included in the, the T20 squad as I'd only played a couple of games a few years before so to be a part of that was really cool and I must say it was gutting not to actually play a test when you've got four spinners in Sri Lanka and it was a chance to, to go back to the place where I started my test career and, and, and get another crack and it, and it didn't pan out that way so that was, a, that was a shame for me. It was disappointing. But then to then have the T20s and to actually get a crack in that last game and yeah. far out, it was an amazing game. To take a few wickets, to be a part of Malinga's four wickets in a row, the, the atmosphere, the crowd, you know, still <laughs> worry. It was all happening. Oh, 30,000 <laughs> yeah. 30, screaming Sri Lankans. They were just, oh, it was electric. I loved it. Even though we, we lost that game, we won the series. Mm. But it was cool for me again just to sort of, yeah, Take uh, take a few wickets and be a part of it. Yeah, poor old Hamish Rutherford flew
2: over from England, didn't he? And then just got one of those melonby Yorkers.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, it, was, it was just all happening in terms of injuries and blokes going down. We had staff like Fultz was in his kit, ready to go out and field. <laughs> oh, so I thought, Shit, surely I'll get a game here. It was the last game, and I, I did it and then got a chance to actually uh, do okay. Uh, but poor old Rudds, yeah, like you say, got flown <laughs> in, and then <laughs> he got a first ball. <laughs>
0: There wouldn't have been a pair of trousers for Forts, would there.
1: <laughs> uh, who did he borrow? No, yeah, he had to had to really probably tuck his socks over his hands <laughs> to make it test. look longer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and so, since we're in Sri Lanka, I mean, take us back to that test debut. I mean, yeah, obviously, must have been a pretty proud moment for you.
1: Yeah, it was. It really was. And if I rewind a little bit further, I had uh, a good couple of seasons for Canterbury with, with the ball and that transformation from batter to bowler. And then the earthquakes was a really tough time, you know, for everyone, obviously, uh, in Christchurch. But mm. I, I think that sort of threw me in. And it was a chance to go away in 2012. My wife and I went over and I played for a, um, a UK team down Buckhurst Hill, actually, in the East Essex Premier League. Mm. So we were right in London. We, we got amongst everything we could that, that uh, summer. Olympics were on, our parents both came over, we went to Croatia Beer Festival, all those cool things to just get that life balance back. Mm. And then I literally came back and I hadn't played a lot of cricket because there was so much rain that summer. Uh, and then we had a couple of preseason games and then got caught up for the Black Cats. It was kind of like, well, wow, I've had not a lot of cricket, but this is this is everything I've wanted to do. So it was so so cool to be able to go back to Sri Lanka, somewhere I knew. And then getting over there, it was a case of, I remember Bob Carter, who who was assistant coach at the time, just saying, "Look, don't don't expect to play, and then if you do, everything's a bonus." And that was probably really good advice because I think if you think you're going to play all the time, you get so wound up, and I've got to do well every training session, and improve myself. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, it was literally the first game we got pantsed. We got really knocked over by Harass mm. uh, in Gaul, and then the second game was was yeah in Colombo, and it was a real toss up between me and James Franklin and and you have this really special capping ceremony the night before and someone comes and speaks and they hand out the, the caps for the players that are going to be playing. Mm. And again, it was still a toss of a coin. So they did the capping ceremony, but they didn't give one to either me or Frankie. So it was <laughs> kind of like, we'll wait in the morning. And then that morning again, I warmed up and yeah, you sort of going, what's happening? Oh, <laughs> am I going to be playing? And Craig McMillan was over there as a commentator. And so they went right, Toddy. You're playing. It was half an hour before the game started, and we had a really quick capping ceremony. But I was stoked that it was Macca because, again, I played with Macca, and he's a cantab. and and it was really cool to, to get that black cap in your hand and go right. I've yeah, I've worked my whole career and, and life, and and wanted to cherish this moment. And it was one of those occasions where it was like, right, this is this is so special.
3: Yeah.
1: And then you get into the game, and it's kind like, happens in a blink and, and you're so nervous and you're so excited and all of your friends and family are messaging throughout the game and as it turned out the game was actually quite exciting it went down to the last day and mm. and uh, we knocked them over and yeah like I said earlier wicket and some runs and so uh, yeah it had everything it really did and so I look back with only fond memories.
4: There was a lot going on in the squad at that time, if I recall. There was the the change in captaincy. Mike Hesson was a relatively new coach at that time, if 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 I remember correctly. Coming into that squad, did you feel like it was a, a real settled New Zealand setup, or or was there a lot of kind of uh, almost unkiwi like um, dynamic around the squad at that time?
1: I, I think that if I look back, there probably was a, a sort of things happening. But for me, I think I was just so new to it and just wanting to soak it all up and. You probably look at it with rose-tinted glasses, and you're a bit naive. And, and you hear whispers. And I, I hung out a lot more with sort of Rob Nickel and Chris Martin. Mm. But there was there was definitely probably clicks, and it wasn't as cohesive as, as certainly what you see it is now. But again, that's me looking through quite a younger, naive uh, lens. Mm. So yeah, there was there was plenty happening, and then it was a shame that the the win the victory got overshadowed by what happened afterwards with with uh, the, the way Ross goes. Captaincy was handled, um, which which was a real shame because you sort of finished the game. We literally flew out that night, and it was forgotten. And then then it all went down, and mm. yeah, it took, takes the gloss off what was a, a really cool win.
4: Oh Yeah, I mean he he batted tremendously, and, and you had a did you share a partnership with Ross in that match? You, you made thirty five in the second innings, if I remember. You like made some fairly handy runs. Um, yeah, it, it must have like it must have felt like Test cricket's an easy game. You you took a wicket. Made some runs, won a spectacular test match. You must have been riding high at that point,
1: right? Uh, Yeah, when you get to the end of the game, I suppose throughout the game, you're desperate throughout to to actually contribute. In the first innings, I didn't really do a great deal. I might have bowled 10 overs and, and didn't get a wicket. And then I got three off 35 balls in that first innings, and I sort of hung around. But then... Later on, after I got out, I remember Bob Carter saying, look, you got to play some shots. You don't want to just die in the hole. You've got to actually mm. take on these bowlers. They're not going to give you mm. loose deliveries. And Harath was someone I really enjoyed facing because he was just so accurate. And then, yeah, the next innings, like you talked about, I was able to, to get 35 and, and come in when we were under the pump. We were about 50 for 5, but thankfully we had a decent enough lead that we still needed to probably put on a bit more. And Yeah, I was on a hat trick and uh, managed to to yeah I suppose put my method into into the middle you know you talk about how you're going to do that when you talk about taking on bowlers and sure enough I sort of would sweep and come down the wicket and Roscoe and I got going and it just meant that we were able to to get that total and declare and get a few wickets that night so yeah then the next the next day I think that wicket was just the the most fulfilling thing because again it took me about 10 overs and it was a it was a cool leg spinner that that got the little edge and caught behind and and Kruger who was my captain at mm. Canterbury for a long time was actually the one who caught it and Kruger and I had a bit of disagreements at the time with the way he was treated probably spinners and bowlers even though we were great mates and we'd played a lot and we'd played over in the UK and in Scotland together mm. uh, so it was another one of those weird and wonderful sort of connections that happened uh, so he was the one that caught my wicket but yeah at the end you're then out singing the uh, the song and, and yeah, having a beer out in the middle of the wicket and remembering all the all the things that happened over those five five yeah eventful days.
2: You, you touched on Scotland there. I I heard that uh, you put in a lot of time over at Espo and that really changed your, your career. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Carl Fraunstein, uh, Brad Roden, <laughs> and, and myself has had a, a phenomenal time. We we really made our our, our time in, in Aberdeen. Uh, well known and, and well celebrated and, and I did, I absolutely loved that club, it was so cool because sort of first, second, third team, everyone was just so tight, you would always go away and the beauty of being in Aberdeen is you were sort of an hour or two hours from Edinburgh and, and Glasgow, most of the locals hated that but as as overseas, it meant you could see more of the country and mm-hmm. and then you would, you would sort of get all your beers back on the beer and it was a chance to have your fine session and everyone's flying by the time they get back and you meet up with the the twos who have been playing at home, and then you'd go all out to, to town. And, and it was the same if you were playing a home game, the twos would come back, and it was just a yeah, really cool vibe. And, mm. yeah, we had some great great nights out in, in Scotland and in Aberdeen.
3: Jeez, that sounds like fun, That sounds it? like great fun. <laughs> uh, yes, back to, back to the uh, test career. It was a bit sporadic, uh, as you had that uh, debut in 2012, followed by games in 16, 18, and 19. How hard was it to be in the environment then out of it? And I guess what was the communication like from from the you know, the management what you needed to improve on to get back into the into the squad?
1: Yeah, it's tough. Really tough. And yeah, I think certainly that second test I played, which was in Christchurch, mm. for me so special at home. My wife was there and my little boy and, and you know, my folks. My son was only about six months old and yeah, just sort of welling up with pride when you're singing the national anthem and you're looking around this, this beautiful venue that's been made after all of the tough times with the earthquakes and, and just thinking, oh, I, I get to play a home game in front of in front of all of my friends and family. That's so cool. And then the game itself was really brutal. I didn't enjoy it. And I remember just, I, I got a duck and the, it was a green wicket and, we ended up winning by nine wickets, I think. I only bowled four overs in the whole game because a spinner in New Zealand often isn't needed and that's a hard reality and mm. realisation to to work through. And so I did find it really difficult, even though it should have been a really special moment, but, but for me that was probably a really good learning going away and then, then acknowledging that sort of thing. is. Look, New Zealand have done well the last several years because we've got a recipe of... Our wickets uh, are swing and, and seamer friendly and, and, and our guys, you know, Wags and Tim Dutchy as well and Colin have just done so well with that recipe and the spinner is literally a real supporting act mm. and you have to be more, uh, I suppose, handy with the bat and and that was, that was sort of the feedback was going, no, you're bowling fine, like, you know, when you get a chance you will and, and you know, just obviously try and contribute with the bat and then yeah, you weren't utilised a whole lot. So it was kind of like, well, we'll pick another Seymour and then Satna was used as a holding role. And, and so, yeah, there's, there's sort of all this communication and the more you try and read into it, the worse it is. So for me, I was just going back and going, look, contribute and do well for Canterbury. And we were, we were winning titles. Uh, I felt like my bowling was at a great level so when I would get picked, I would be ready to go. But it, it has been a really tough Tough sort of ride in terms of Test cricket as a spinner, and, and I'm sure if you talk to to other guys as well, um, that they're facing those sort of same tough decisions. But again, it always comes back to the love of the game and, and why you do it. And so that was that was sort of the thing for me that I had to to come back to, even though it ha- it has been and it was tough at, at certain points.
3: Yeah, we um we had Deepak Patel on uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he did make mention of uh, the fact that spinners, definitely the New Zealand team, aren't being used as an attacking option or perhaps being underutilised. Do you think that there is a role for um, spinners in New Zealand as attacking options?
1: Well, I think there is, but you look at a, a Hagley wicket or a Basin Reserve wicket, you look at it on day one and you go, is the spinner really going to feature? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's just the nature of the beast. Probably when you look at Hamilton and, and the Mount. Those are options where spinners might play a role, but but the wickets don't really deteriorate in New Zealand, and that's the hard thing. Is that even then you still go back to our method of, of either using swing or, or bounces to be fair? Because Wags has just made a, a real amazing career out of bowling short, yeah. so he, he's he's effectively taken the spinner's role by doing that type of
2: mm,
1: a good type of method. Mm. So that, that's what makes uh, it tough for a spinner, and you look at the last 10 years I don't think anyone's really taken more than two or three in a test that's why I I was so pleased to get a crack in that pink ball test because I knew that Eden Park can turn and it was historic it was a pink ball test it was against England again it had been a a period of time before I'd had a a crack and you're nervous as anything God (laughs) don't no one will no one will probably um, ever not have nerves because you care about it but that's the cool thing I think is Mm. As I'd got to a point where I was ready to, to have another uh, another go, and again it was historic. Got a chance to, to prove my worth, but <laughs> I knew I'd done a side strain uh, after I'd taken sort of my first wicket, and, yeah. I, and I I was desperate to keep going because I thought shit if I don't if I don't keep going here, I won't get another go. And, mm. and I was still bowling at the time, managed to get uh, Overton out, and then they were nine down, and yeah, there was messages between me and uh, Matt Henry, who is the 12th man, and Henners and I have spent a lot of time on the sidelines, and I said, look, I think I've done my side, but <laughs> I'm going to bloody continue on. Don't don't <laughs> say anything. Um, so, no, I did, and I'm pleased I did, because we've got the last wicket, and then I knew that was the end of that series, and, and it was a chance to, again, show that I, I could do it and and be a part of... Contributing to winning a game Which is so rare I think as a spinner And that's actually probably Why I was so proud of of AJ's and Will When they were over in Dubai And and I got injured But I I watched on With with just such joy Seeing other spinners Do well as well Because I know how How difficult it is
2: Mm. You, You mentioned that final wicket there was a, a great celebration from you afterwards and I've always loved watching you celebrate a wicket I feel like a lot of first class players I watch those black cap highlights on the, the NZC website and stuff and people don't celebrate first class wickets but you've always given it
1: 100% yeah and again I, I think it's because of all of the hard toil that yeah I, I just I love the battle and that's <laughs> why I think I'm so suited to being a bowler I'm a bit of a uh, well, I think we're all competitive, but I just love getting in the battle and going, how can I get this guy out? And when it comes off and, and you get that reward, it, it's so satisfying. Mm. And that's what, someone I think asked Tahir about it, because Imran Tahir, you know, <laughs> he's like, he runs off a 30-metre circle <laughs> and he's, he's ticking and screaming. And he goes, I've earned that right because I've bowled for so many years and, and and learnt my craft. And now I'm at the top of my game and every wicket is so special to me. And, and I've awesome. certainly always thought that. And so as I've ticked over the wickets, over the years, yeah, it's never lost its uh, enjoyment.
4: Can I just ask, what's it like bowling leg spin with a pink ball? Is it different? Is it fundamentally different from bowling with a, a red ball in Tests or a, a white ball in One Day Cricket? Does it behave differently? Do you have to like change your length or change the pace that you bowl at?
1: Yeah, it is different. You think of a snooker ball, and you know how it has like a sheen. Mm-hmm. So that's the effect is that it has more of this lacquer on and. It is more like a one-day ball. Mm. I, I really like holding onto a one-day ball because you can scuff it up more and you have more grip. It's mm. like Stu. I mean, Stu and I, we both have sweaty hands, so it's not ideal for a, for a spinner. <laughs> um,
2: it is not, no. Not at all.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I liked it when it, it's older, like the pink ball. If I tried to bowl with a brand-new pink ball, geez I'd be hitting the, uh, the top, even park, but yeah, it, it was a, a more of a one-day ball. That's why I think I liked it because you can bowl more wrong and more of your variation.
3: Mm. Uh,
1: and then you don't get told off too for, for you know, mucking it up. <laughs> for the red ball, if you, if you do that, yeah, you'll, you'll get uh, really, yeah, the fast bowlers will get pissed off.
4: Fair enough. <laughs> You're a valuable commodity now in the new post-COVID yeah, game. Don
0: Dom Bass is the sweatiest Englishman and he's the he's the, design, he's the ball shiner You could
4: have a, a designated ball shiner role here moving forward for the Black
1: Oh! Celtics. There's been so much, yeah, <laughs> snick and sarcasm and, you know, called cool Palm Springs and, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so now I could really, yeah, uh, oh, maybe I'll come back out of retirement. Yeah, you know. I think you should,
4: 100%. <laughs> Stand at mid-off, shine the ball, happy
1: days. Yeah. I'll, I'll have a word to steady, eh? <clears throat> what, was,
4: what was that Australian tour like from your perspective? I mean, a lot's been said about the New Zealand performance, but what did you take away from your own performance?
1: Uh, I I think deep down we knew we were really going to be up against it Mm. because they are just relentless. Their their fast bowlers are just quicker, more into the wicket, and ours are so suited to our conditions. Mm. So it was a case of we're not going to beat them at our game. We had to actually come up with something that was going to be more suited to those conditions. And that's what effectively happened. We tried to play our game for... We talk about playing a long game, and, and it's obviously worked well for us over a long period. But over there, you just got a sense that yeah, we were really going to be we were going to be tested, and we were. You know, Perth was was an experience with the bouncy wickets, and and again, it was one of those ones where we arrived, and the wickets that we got given at Optus Stadium weren't ideal, and the Aussies were all training down the whacker and you just thought, hang on, there's something not right here. Uh, and I, I was always just yeah trying to to soak it up again and go right, okay, what's my role going to be? And and I wasn't included in that Perth game, and. So it was going, okay, well, if it's the MCG, you often hear about that taking turns, so how can I how can I be ready to go? And, and to be fair, it's more about managing your own anxieties and own insecurities or uh, that pressure and doubt because you're going to be playing in front of 80 90,000 people and that's just mm-hmm. unheard of for a, a Kiwi. As much as you so want to desperately do it because you've dreamed of it as a kid playing in those stadiums, there's also part of you going, oh, jeepers, okay, there's going to be, 80,000 there plus millions watching you every move that you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, it's just trying to keep all that in check. And, and I think, thankfully, uh, over a long period of time, I've got uh, a lot better at that. And, and I was I was itching to play, and it, and it was literally down to Christmas morning. Steady again. My, my family were over there. All of our families were over there. That's what I loved. It was such a cool experience in Melbourne. But it was kind of like, ah, oh, sorry mate, I've got some bad news, and there's your Christmas present. <laughs> You're missing out again. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but as soon as he sort of said, at least gave me clarity, and I could enjoy the experience with with my young family there, and and so many mates that had come over. So I bloody loved the whole the whole event itself. You know, it was the best loss ever with the crowd. It was, <laughs> I don't know if any of you boys were over there, but it was just so electric, even on that last day, the chanting and. And all of the Kiwi tops that you saw, the support was phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Do you you think the administrators have got to do something about that preparation in the lead up to series? So you'd obviously played England on two pretty flat decks here and then almost straight on the plane into almost completely opposite conditions. It's tough enough to win on the road in Test cricket as it is, but not being afforded that opportunity to acclimatise and play some warm-up games. Is that something that's going to need to be looked at if Test cricket's going to have this kind of product where there's a challenge for teams away from home?
3: I think,
1: yeah, hindsight's always a great thing. There was probably some signs throughout, and and we had had a a really testing series against England. If you look at that, I think we'd bowled huge amounts of overs. So our bowlers were all really probably feeling the effects of that, and it was a case Mm -hmm. of, right, let's try and give ourselves a bit of time. And we didn't have a whole lot of time. So we kind of got to Perth, half of us got to Perth and then the other half got delayed for a few days because of flights and, and there was just a whole lot of things that were out of our control that happened that weren't ideal and then, the, like I said, the nets weren't great. and Yeah, in an in a ideal world, we would have had a real good hit out and our bowlers would have been a bit fresher, but we were nursing niggles and, and that's just the nature of our sport. There's always going to be that. Mm. So, yeah, I think it was no fault of our own. There are things that we could have done better, for sure. And I think if we go again, it would be a case of not not getting overawed by going over to your big brother and sort of thinking, oh, yep, um, we'll be okay. It's going right. No, we need to actually go there and have a bit more of a hard nose we're going to bloody bring it to them. And I think we probably waited for them to dictate terms too often. And then you, you, you do that, and they just, as you saw, they were just all over us every time. It was a similar pattern. They won the toss, unfortunately, every game. They were only two or three down each day, uh, put on a big first-inning score, and then their bowlers just came in and, and were brutal. They didn't give us an inch. Mm-hmm. I mean,
4: for you, though, after years of toiling away, bowling on sort of seam-friendly or, or real flat New Zealand wickets, what was it like? Well, how did you feel going on to the SCG and go, OK, I've got a kookaburra nut in my hand. I can really do some some damage here and, and make a difference?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think about it now because I, I deep down probably knew that I was right at the end of my passion for Red Bull cricket. And it's hard mm. to say that because it's been it's been the thing that has helped me grow so much as a person as a player the lessons the the hardship I guess that resilience but also the success and, and yeah that transformation into a boulder and the records that happened and so I sort of thought right it's now or never I want to have a crack and again I was in that sort of mentality where as you guys might have experienced if you're in a squad you're there and it's great because you want to contribute and and be a part of the team and and I'd like to think that I'm a real sort of team-oriented person, but you also sort of, you can get into a point where it's kind of like, oh, it's me again. Oh, okay, cool. Right, I'll, I'll just do what I need to do and throw the knickers and throw downs for, for those guys. And, and so you just, you're in that little bit of uh, uncertainty. And then it was a case of, right, there's a few guys going down again. You know, there's a couple <laughs> of illnesses and oh, there might be a broken foot here and a thumb. And so it was like, as soon as I made that shift and I said to it, Fultz out a couple of days before and Jugo, the, the bowling coach, and the wicket looked like, yep, it was going to take a bit of turn and they were having a bit of a meeting and I just went out and went oh fuck, you got to play two spinners, come on <laughs> so I, two spinners and I, and I said it's going to be me and Will because Sat was actually ill, he, he, he was really uh, under the weather with a virus so I was like, it's going to be Will Summerboard and me because Will and I are great mates, so we went to the academy together and I, I have such a huge amount of respect for him mm. So it was great to sort of like, yeah, actually get that over the line, and and then yeah, they were like, okay, you're playing, and and I just had this real shift in going right. Deep down, I probably know this is going to be my last, my last game, and, and it's going to be a chance for me to showcase my skills against the Aussies, who are the best in their own backyard. It's something I always, as a kid, was a. You know, I was a Hayden or a Langer or a Warren or McGrath, Brett Lee, Ponting. And so I was actually out there on their oval and they're all commentating and I'm playing against all of these incredible players that you see. And it it, it was honestly my most enjoyable test, Mm -hmm. even though we lost and I've won all my other tests and it was a bit of a um, healthy healthy sort of sarcasm around shit, you know, it's such an easy game for you, Todd, you keep bloody winning all these tests, even <laughs> though you're not, not not required to do a, a whole lot in some of them. But that test was so cool because I think Matt Henry was playing, you know, Tom Latham was captain. And I got, to, I got a chance to actually present Tommy, his, uh, his, yeah, uh, cap for being captain. And so mm. I got a chance to say a lot of, a lot of words before the game started. And, and then, yeah, it was this, this sort of feeling of shit where it, up against it, it backs against the wall, we've got nothing to lose and I'm just going to go out and give it everything and love every minute of it and And I think that just showed and how I got a few wickets and, and some runs and, and I think that was the cool thing, that the young me when I was sort of 12 or 15 would go, yep, I, I actually reached that and, and I've seen myself be able to, to go right, I've done that, I've climbed I keep saying my Everest because it was such a pinnacle mm. uh, and then even though the result wasn't ideal, <laughs> uh, it, it was a chance to showcase my skills on the highest stage in front of tens of thousands of people. And then you can say, "Yeah, you've walked the walk." And the um, sort of the next day, walking around Sydney, I I just knew deep down that I was at peace with with finishing Red Bull Game and, and knowing that that's my last last game and act. Then it's on my terms, and, and yeah, I, I really did love every minute of it, every ball of it.
2: And I mean, so yeah, you've mentioned there you've retired from the longer format. Are you still pretty keen to keep going in the limited overs for a while? Or what, are your th- what are your goals that you've set for yourself
3: there?
1: Yeah, I am. Yep, I, I finished the red ball knowing that, like we've talked about, there's just been some, some tough realisations that there wasn't going to be a great deal of opportunity moving forward. In my, in my opinion, like, I probably still would have been in the test squad for India, but then I knew we were playing at the Basin in- in Hagley, and Hagley, as you saw just, again, there wasn't a role mm. for the spinner. Then it was going to be Bangladesh for two tests, um, which, you know, I wasn't hugely excited by. Um, again, because I think, you know, I went to Sri Lanka, there was four spinners, I didn't really get much of a, a role. And then and then there's not a great deal of test cricket over the next two or three years, and it might be different now with what's been happening. But mm. for me, it was a case of I still have a love of, of wanting to contribute and do well and, and, yeah, be a part of that New Zealand setup. There was definitely no bitterness because, uh, like we talked about earlier, the the environment and the personnel are are phenomenal. They all just want the best. Um, And I think we've made such huge gains from from sort of 10, 5, 6, 7 years ago. Yeah, Uh, yeah, but I now have the ability to have more of a balance with with two young kids and a bit more of a a development with my business, which is around – a lot of the things we've been talking about, sort of mental skills and positive psychology, and, and that's developed because of all of this, this journey and the, the ups and downs and, and how I can then give back and help others uh, get the best out of themselves. So, so that's why I think this is the right time to, to be able to do that and step back as hard as it was mm. because your head and your heart are telling you different things. You know, you're know, you walking away from a, a Black Cat's contract and, and you know, the financial side of it and opportunities. But at the same time, I just knew deep down, and for months, I would sort of had this feeling that, yeah, that's that's what I wanted to do, and, and I'm still going to be involved in the game and have, yeah, these different parts that I can really have that that balance that I'm after.
2: Yeah, and you, and you mentioned your company there, Inner Spin. I love the name. Of course, everyone could do with finding the Inner Spin bowler in themselves. But I mean, yeah, you, you should give yourself a plug there. What what? really is it going to do and, and sort of who? what kind of people will you be working with?
1: Well it sort of developed over time where I, I just have always loved yeah, the Olympics bowling and I've coached it to a certain uh, extent in years gone by and, and yeah then it was a, a case of working with the younger players and the Canterbury set up mentoring and I've always wanted to know more about myself and so I've done courses in leadership and leadership and life coaching and mindfulness and again, it's all again about finding out who you are and knowing yourself and then the methods that are involved and then the mindset and once you get into it, it it's just so fascinating and, and yeah I, I started to run more workshops in schools and with sports teams and and how you can optimize your performance so effectively allow young athletes or sports teams even in schools that the, the skills are all transferable. Mm. Allow them to do their job better, I suppose. You're giving them all those tools and learnings that I've experienced firsthand playing at the highest level and with, with other top athletes, mm. as well as the theory that I've developed and learnt uh, alongside of, of my playing. So that's that's sort of where I'm at. And, and yeah, I've got a few contracts and with schools and, and yeah and wanting to grow it alongside of playing. And then once I've finished, move more into that field as well.
2: Cool.
4: Yeah, I mean, you, you spoke in your blog, and I, I just wanted to give it a plug because I read it today, and you spoke about the love of the game. And I, I can't wait for your work to produce a young another generation of young leg spin bowlers. As a leg spin bowler myself, there's not enough of us out there doing well for New Zealand. So um, in amongst your work, if you can unearth an, another young, promising leg spin bowler and, and help <laughs> him to, to realise his potential, we'd be all uh, greatly uh, appreciative of it.
1: Well, I think that's the thing. You know, there, there isn't a great deal of understanding out there. And, and like you asked me earlier, who are the people that I, I work with? And it wasn't often leg spin technical people. It was just the passion and the support and being able to allow you to, to flourish and develop. And so that's that's where I see a, an important part of of me giving back. You know, and in the spin is more probably the mental skills and sports psychology, but there'll be, uh, there is definitely other business ideas floating around around how I'm gonna be able to then give back to the next generation and, and, and yeah, be that mentor for a lot of other young spinners and leg spinners coming through in particular. And and I am, I'm incredibly passionate about it because it's just such a hard and unique art mm-hmm. that I can give that support to, to like you say, so many that, that want it and need it and, and love the tortured genius that is a leg spin bowler.
2: You should see the grin on Baldi's oh, face. He's, he's very pleased, Baldi. <laughs> the, the, the,
0: the grin on his face. Better than Shane Warn's gin, that. Nah, absolutely. <laughs> well, look, that's, that's an awesome place to end the formal part of the pod. But before we let you get away, I know you've been really, really generous with your time. We always like to finish with a little bit of a quick fire round. So I am going to give you advanced warning of question six or seven, which is your best sledge that you've heard been a part of so get the thinking cap on whilst you answer some of the simpler ones so a nice half volley to get off the mark what's your favourite innings
1: my 195 that I got at Hagley uh, a few years ago first class cricket
0: wow favourite spell
1: spell
4: or best ball you bowled. You must remember the best ball you've ever bowled, surely. That's not on
0: the less Sporty, Stop with your know. leg spin stuff. <laughs> you can answer either your favourite spell or your best delivery. Uh,
1: I must say, when I was narrowing in on the leading wicket taker for Canterbury, I, I was really close to it for a number of years. And I, and I was, yeah, for, for a number of years taking 35, 40 wickets, first-class cricket. I was a consistent in the team all the way throughout. And then I started to get picked for New Zealand more or I started having these little injuries and niggles. And so I was missing out on playing first-class cricket. And so it took me two or three years to finally get to a point where I was in a game. I'd got called back from New Zealand or released from New Zealand to play against C.D. out at Rangiora, which is our home ground after the earthquakes. Rangiora main power was, was, was our home. And, mm-hmm. and so there was quite, uh, some quite cool things that were happening. And I sort of had a feeling we were in the box seat against C.D., Sun was shining. It was a chance to take. I needed two more. I took one in the first innings. I needed two more to, to go outright ahead of Mark Priest as the leading first class wicket taker. And yeah, that day I just couldn't have bowled better. And that's what I, I loved the fact that I was on the verge and I was bowling as well as I ever have. And I just think everything came out like a dream. And I bowled George Worker, who played for Canterbury for a number of years, around the wicket. He left one and it's Massive out of the rough and, and clean boulders off peg, and it knocked it out. Beautiful. So I was even with Priestie, uh, and it was pretty cool to go past Richard Hadley, I must say. Um, mm. A couple of games before that, he was 285, Priestie was 290. And then I had this image in my head, right? This guy Foxcroft was batting, he, he's quite bottom handed, playing around the ball. It was a nice drift. All these things you spinners love hearing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was great because. My brother was down there with his kids, my wife and her parents. And I just had this thick sense that I was going to hold the ball cross-team so it wouldn't actually drift as much. And he was going to play around it and get a leading edge to Shulman Wicket. And my brother had this weird feeling too that it was just going to be this ball. So he has uh, one of those really fancy cameras and, and he had it ready. And he said again, like he was sure this ball was going to get the wicket. And sure enough, I bowled it and it came out perfectly. It wasn't the, the dismissal in terms of leading wicket uh, to mid-wicket. It was actually like a getting ball in the fact that it, it held its line. He played round it, fell over himself, and it knocked out his off pole. And he sort of looked, turned around and goes, how on earth did he miss it? Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of me at main power, just with my arms up, just with that sheer satisfaction of, of just going, you bloody ripper, <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've done it. You know, as an opening bat, as a battler, um, to then become... Canterbury's leading first-class wicket target. Nothing in my wildest dreams would have pictured that. And, and I had it on camera and with my loved ones there. And, you know, it's a long-winded answer. But, again, I think it was just such a, an incredible feeling. And, and that, that was why I, I loved that spell because everything came out just so perfectly.
0: Again, you've got the two spinners at the table purring here. <laughs> who, did you, who did you love bowling at? Who did
1: you have in your pocket? Oh, a few people. <laughs> nice. uh, Michael Pollard from Wellington. Nice. Uh, he was definitely one. In terms of international cricket, I got Safraz Ahmed out a fair bit, and I think he played at my Under-19 World Cup.
2: Yeah, he did, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: yeah. So, yeah, Safraz uh, got out a few times. So that was nice to, to have, have an international bunny.
0: We'll uh, we'll make sure we tag him in the social media for the yeah yeah for, for, yeah. for, the, for the for the
4: pod. I can't remember yeah. the last time someone answered that question. Yeah. Honestly, no, no, everyone, everyone no one going, is oh. everyone's
0: let that one through to the keeper. Who's uh, conversely who's the toughest person you had to bowl at?
1: Oh, well, I think early on there were certain players that you just felt like you were never going to get out. They would sit on you and they would just milk you. They'd hit your bare balls. Sort of Craig Cumming and Matthew Sinclair were like that. Jesse Ryder was brutal on me, uh, but at the same time, I used to have a lot of success against Jesse. He is one of the most talented batters, just so gifted that on his day, he could just take me down and, and he just felt like any ball he could hit me for six. But yeah. I think his his uh, his style of play also gave me a chance getting him out. So there's different types of players, isn't there? There's ones that can just bat all day and there's other ones that can just really just make you look like a, an amateur. So those were sort of guys that I think were, were the tough ones that I, I've dealt with.
0: And if you were just about to go into a COVID cricket bubble, who would you want on the balcony next year at these hotel grounds? Favourite teammate?
1: Oh, Matt Henry. He is just salt of the year. Like him and I have been through a number of games where we're carrying drinks and we're just coming up with different topics to keep ourselves sane and Yeah, he's just a, a really good bloke as well, really supportive and, and just everything's positive, even though, you know, we both have, have maybe had tough periods. It's always come back to how can we best help the team, and, and that's why I love love Hena's energy and just who he is as a person and, and teammate.
0: And who's the neediest player when you're the tw- when you're a twelfth man? Who, who wants their water at thirteen degrees Celsius, or you've, you know their gloves have got to come out in numbered order?
1: Oh, Paul, bloody Wiseman, it was horrible. <laughs> he <laughs> so, uh, was, was like my mentor sort of at, at Old Boys and in Canterbury and then he's been a coach for so long I think that's what graded me was that he was like right you have to write me a good reference because I'm going to get into coaching and tell me that, that, I, that, you know, that I helped you I was like you've been an absolute pain in my ass for a number of years <laughs> so it's hard because he, he has helped me a lot but God he was just so pedantic you know I'd be running out of chaps he's like no not my blue one I want my red chaps come on <laughs> oh, wow <laughs> So, yeah, it's just very, very pedantic. Um, So, yeah, he's certainly at the top of the list.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, it's come to that time. We need need a sledge from you. What's the best one you've heard or been part of on a cricket field?
1: Right, I've had a chance to think about this, and I've always said this one. I was at a Kaushu's Boys High fundraiser. This was when I was seventh form, so year 13, back in 2004. And we had a guest speaker, which was Shane Bond. And this question comes up often, doesn't it, in, in most scenarios or, or when you're asking someone and putting them on the spot around sledging. And to this day, it's one of the best ones, just because Bondi was talking to school kids, he's a cop, uh, he's quite quite a serious intense bloke, but also has a good sense of humour. And he was telling me the story of, of one of his first games when he was over in Australia and he's playing a test match and he's at the wacker, So he's... Seaman and and Bondy actually has a bit of issue with with the heat, and so he overcooks a little bit. Um, so he was probably really focused on making sure that you know he was uh, hydrated and 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 really into his spell and competing with with the Aussies. And and when you're in Australia, you are really in for a coughing on the boundary. And I can I can certainly tell you that was the case in in, uh, in Aussie this time round. Melbourne maybe not so much because it was real New Zealand heavy crowd. But Sydney, shit, I was getting so much sick, you know. Astle, your arm's custard. Your fucking mum is just, you know, a better leg spinner, or well, my mum's a better <laughs> leg spinner than you. Like, just random shit. Like, I hope your glasses are polarized, Astle, because you can't <laughs> effing bowl and see and all this. Jeez. And you just sort of going, yeah, good on you guys. Yeah, you're, you're awesome. You're awesome. <laughs> but yeah, Bondy was telling me that, you know, he was running and It was quite a crucial part of the of the game. And, um, you know, the crowd goes quiet, obviously, as, as the bowl is running in. And,. Just as he's running in, some bloke has just yelled out at the top of his lungs, Hey, Bond, your mum swallows! Oh, <laughs> and he said that just he had to stop, and everyone was pissing themselves. Just the timing of it and just, just the random nature <laughs> of the sledge. Oh, is something that, as you can imagine, like a, a year 13, seventh form kid, when you hear this sort of stuff, you're just <laughs> yeah. snickering away going, Oh, my God, did he just say that? Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, Perth for you. <laughs> so yeah, to this day, yeah, that, that's sort of one of the best that stuck with me around sledging.
2: We, we've had Bondi on. He, he didn't mention, yeah, that, he one, mention that
1: one. Funnily yeah. enough, that one slipped his mind clearly.
2: <laughs> well,
0: we'll get him back on for right of reply. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll finish on a, a more serious note. Um, if you could choose one more thing you'd like to achieve on the cricket field before you finish your career, what what do you think it would be?
1: Oh, it'd be a World Cup. Yeah, I've, I've had an underlying World Cup and then to be so close, literally toss to the corner or the next cab off the rank for for the World Cup, um, that was brutal. But yeah, there's obviously a bit of a diet of white ball cricket coming up and a couple of T20 World Cups and, and then obviously the, the the main 50 over. So to be a part of that squad and, and yeah, ideally to contribute to winning games for your country is, is just so so unique and, and phenomenal. So that's that's certainly something that's keeping me hungry in the game and, and yeah when I do decide to, to start rolling the arm over again it'll be in my mind as that's that's certainly something I'm working towards.
0: Awesome. Well look it's been an absolute pleasure to spend about an hour with you Todd. So look many thanks for coming on the pod and all the very best once cricket returns not only to our screens but also our paddocks as well over the course of the New Zealand summer coming up and wish you all the best in those, uh, those white ball goals.
1: Thanks, guys. It's been nice to, to reconnect and uh, walk down memory lane as well.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Top Order podcast. Before you disappear from our feed, if you're a new listener, please do go and check out the back catalogue. We've spoken recently to New Zealand coach Gary Stead. We've got Graham Thorpe. We've got Shane Dietz. We've got Barry Richards, Shane Bond, Colin Miller all in the back catalogue. You can find the details www.thetoporderpodcast.com. with a The Top Order Podcast on Instagram, although we're still really figuring that out. We're at Top Order Pod on Facebook and Twitter. So don't be shy to jump on, give our tweets a share or a retweet and we'll see you next week.